Right, good morning, Marhaba, and thank you for joining us on this next session of the 14th Global Energy Outlook Forum. Uh, we are talking all things OPEC+, plus, looking at what might be in stake in 2024 for the Oil Exporting Group and its friends. Uh, speaking of friends, very pleased to be joined this morning by a few of mine, both old and new. Uh, talking to me this morning, we have the award-winning Amina Becker, who is the Chief OPEC Correspondent and Deputy Bureau Chief at Gulf uh, Energy Intelligence, rather, speaking to us here on this Gulf Intelligence panel. Morning, Amina. Good morning, Brandy. Uh, Dr. Yusuf Al-Shamari is CEO and Head of Energy Research at CM Markets and Senior Research Fellow at Imperial College London, a man who's very busy at the moment shooting a documentary. Thank you for making the time for us, Dr. Yusuf. It's absolutely my pleasure, Brandy, and I'm delighted to be to join you this morning. And a man who I actually quoted on our show this morning, Paul Hicken, Editor-in-Chief of Petroleum Economist. Hello, Paul. Hi there, and thanks for that, Brandon. So Sean has prefaced this discussion, the title of this discussion, with an observation uh, about the fact that those quick COVID OPEC Zoom meetings, which were pretty much done before you could switch on the kettle and make a cup of tea, have been replaced by much lengthier affairs. Before we get into what the year holds for OPEC Plus after a rather dramatic couple of months, let's use those meetings and, and the changes we've seen to set the scene. And I'm going to ask Amina, who is a veteran of the OPEC stairway squash, to remind us the changes that we saw in COVID and where we are now. Amina. Yeah, that's right, Brandy. I spent many, many years sitting in that uh, stairwell waiting for the ministers to finish off their meetings. And you and Sean are absolutely right. There has been an evolution of OPEC plus meetings. And we've seen that over the past years, really, when COVID hit, um, the meetings migrated from uh, Vienna uh, and being there in person to having these meetings online and through phone calls. Um, these meetings tend to happen uh, in a kind of a, a shorter period than we're used to, uh, mainly because the ministers have a lot of communication uh, ahead of the meeting and these deals are hashed out ahead of the actual meeting. So when we have a meeting that is 10 minutes or 15 minutes, it's not because the meeting was really 10 minutes or 15 minutes. It's because they took a week or 10 days or sometimes even longer to agree the terms. And when they actually start the meeting, it's just a matter of voting on the outcome, which they know already, um, and announcing it. So uh, there, there has been a change. I mean, the meetings have been getting a little bit longer, but we're still used to the fact that the ministers uh, about a week ahead of any uh, OPEC gathering. They do have a lot of alignment, communications. Uh, they get everybody on board, uh, especially ahead of any policy changes. There needs to be a lot of negotiations around uh, quotas, baselines, what to do, discussing the economy. So in that sense, I feel communications among the members has uh, improved with the, uh, with the changes that uh, we saw post-COVID. But not everyone has been happy with what's going on. Let's look at some of the changes in OPEC Plus itself. And let's start with one of the most recent dramatic changes, which is the loss of Angola towards the end of last year, which brings us into the perennial subject of OPEC unity. Paul, I'm going to throw this to you. How big a deal is Angola's leaving 
is OPEC unity under a new threat? Well, that's a good question, Brandy. And first of all, let's put some context to this. Um, and quotas have always been an issue for for OPEC. I mean, adjusting quotas has been a, it's been a it's been a age old issue since they started in twenty sixteen. The the whole OPEC plus and having these uh, agreements. And I think first first and foremost, you've had several people, several countries leave OPEC plus in recent times. It's not. It's not unusual. Indonesia, Ecuador, Qatar, for, for various different geopolitical reasons, they've they've left. And Angola was a, a production in decline. Um, it's not going to necessarily materially impact what was going to happen in terms of uh, the overall production agreement because Angola it was struggling to get production up. So, so in that sense, it's not really a material impact on on that level. But at the same time, I think. The fact that OPEC has and OPEC Plus has come out with this kind of show of unity almost suggests: does the lady protest too much? You know, they, they, there's a there's a sense that they need to come out to say this. It was a bit of a it was a bit of a, a bit of a uh, a disruption, especially since since the last meeting, many of the protection groups went to voluntary cuts. It wasn't a completely unanimous decision in a sense. Uh, you didn't have this full, full everyone on board with the quotas. So you had that to, uh, on the backdrop, which, which you could say is quite normal in in another sense, because you know a natural evolution. If you've got twenty two, twenty three members of a group, then you're going to have disagreements. You're going to have uh, disruptions and 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 misalignments. So it's harder to get everyone working in the same same direction anyway. So you know, in a sense. Yes, it's, yes, there are. It's maybe a bigger deal than sometimes in the past, but at the same time, it's not going to affect the overall plan of OPEC Plus. And I don't think it's uh, while there's a slight wobble. I don't. I think it's more of a speed bump than anything bigger than that. But you've brought up the interesting topic of another evolution we've seen in in OPEC recently, which is market management. That small subset of countries uh, being involved in their own cuts rather than a sort of a secretariat wide announcement. Yusuf, what does that mean for, for where OPEC is at the moment, the capacity of those producers to, to cut and what that says about OPEC unity? Uh, hi, Brandy, and good morning, everybody. Um, well, I believe uh, the changes that we have seen um, in terms of the um, uh, complexity of meeting and how it has evolved since the time of COVID and there are multiple factors that have contributed to that. Um, during the COVID-19 period, let's say 2020, 2021, perhaps the major issue since announcing the historical agreement in April 2020, or May 2020 was um, uh, the um, compensation and so-called uh, under-compliance. So I remember um, uh, the chair of OPEC Plus, Prince Abdelaziz bin Salman, suggested their approach of compensation where countries who under or were not or list, list compliance can compensate uh, within uh, later periods. But then we have seen countries, especially from Africa, who are falling below their quotas and some other countries who are willing to ramp up their production above certain baselines, uh, especially here we uh, the United Arab Emirates and some others. Of course, the war between Russia and Ukraine has also contributed to that 
complexity in the, the how the negotiations are handled. Uh, so then we started to see also the ample supplies emerging from the US, from Guyana and other non-OPEC suppliers. And we've seen prices coming down below uh, 90 and now even below $80. So I believe that has contributed to where, where well, how different producers, especially now what you come to your question, the bigger producers, where they would like to see, although they, they officially they don't target any prices, but at, at the end of the day, prices definitely are indicative of the market status of even the supply and demand balance. So I believe that add to the, uh, the complexity of uh, these agreements. Um, given the fact that we have seen countries like Angola leaving and before Angola, Ecuador also left the organization, although their departure from the group was not a, a major change to the market dynamics, but it does send kind of a, a not promising signals in terms of um, the so-called, the um, how the markets react to these, um, uh, the, about the market, the group dynamics in general. And I believe uh, here that can add kind of some sort of complex of a challenge as we move towards 2024. Just yesterday, the uh, Saudi cabinet, the Council of Ministers, has to, uh, reaffirmed the importance of the alliance signed in 2016. And I believe it's trying Saudi Arabia is trying to send the signal that the unity of the OPEC Plus alliance is quite crucial as we now go through a uh, multiple factors this year, which is number one. Uh, global economy, where we're expecting central banks to uh, to, to cut interest rates, perhaps sometime this year. We have ample supplies coming from different producers, and prices are perhaps below are below the level that some many producers would like to see. We we also see voluntary cuts from various, especially from Saudi Arabia, and many producers would like to revise their baselines. So I believe uh, that could definitely add for a complexity into these meetings and definitely we need to uh, i think the group will definitely have to come into a sort of formal agreements as we move from now until uh, june that can pave the way for ever more lasting agreements in the years ahead Okay, let's very quickly um, target two of those possible complexities. Um, I'm going to throw one at Amina for a quick thought. Um, the UAE, which as we know has, has in recent years um, pushed out for its baselines to be revised, is targeting increased production itself. It wants to reach 5 million barrels by 2027. If it's being asked to cut more, could that be a sticking point? Um, that's a good point, Brandy. And um, some of this misalignment that uh, Dr. Yusuf had mentioned, that some producers aren't able to meet their production capacities while others have more flexibility, that needs to be reflected in the current baseline system, which isn't reflecting reality. OPEC realizes that. I mean, that's why they started the process first with the African countries reviewing some of those baselines, which led Angola to be very unhappy with the baseline that it was given and therefore uh, decided to walk out. Just a small point on that, Brandy. Angola hasn't been meeting its baseline for months now, including in the months of December. It hasn't been meeting its baseline. So its demands for an even higher baseline were um, almost unjustified. And this is a kind of fair process that's being 
done by consultants. So it's uh, this bargaining will not work within the OPEC group. So in June this year, for the rest of the members, we've already done the assessment for some of the African states. The rest of the members are going to be receiving a revision of uh, or an assessment by these uh, independent consultancies for their baselines, including the UAE. Um, and the UAE, I mean, it's it's very uh, it's it's a fair process. So they will find out that the UAE has in fact been growing its capacity. We believe that capacity right now might be in the range of 4.3 million barrels and might increase as we go ahead into the year. Um, so that naturally would mean that the UAE will receive a higher baseline. And already going into this year, what happened at the last meeting is that the UAE received a revision. So I find. Uh, the UAE quite satisfied with the process so far, what I've been hearing from officials here and uh, within the OPEC plus group, they feel that um, their their voice is is being heard and it's going to be reflected in the, in the final numbers that they get. Okay, well, let's look at Saudi then. Paul, I'll throw this one very quickly to you. Uh, Saudi's got a lot of projects to pay for. How much longer is it going to be happy doing a lot of the heavy lifting on the cuts front? When we're talking unity, should we maybe be looking at the relationship between Saudi and Russia at the moment in terms of production and exports? Well, I think, yeah, the fact is that Saudi Arabia's GDP and oil prices are closely correlated. Um, so you can see why there's been a stronger push for Saudi Arabia to have a high price strategy, right? And even will prepare to suck up further cuts and uh, for on the behalf of the rest of the group. But you're right, Brandy. At some point, if the economic weakness stays, if demand stays weak, then how what limits are going to be put to the test this year? If we was to see a further decline in prices, if we're going to see demand staying weak, we already had. We saw that um, how the market read the signals of Saudi cutting its OSPs uh, and what it said about physical demand in the market and and the, and the weakness there. I think I think you know Russia. It, that's why. In a sense, OPEC members, some OPEC members are more equal than others. <clears throat> the Russia, the Russia-Saudi agreement and having Russia, even under sanctions, cut exports is crucial to 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 having the deal done. Iraq, meet, Iraq, UAE, all hugely important members, uh, not just in terms of volume, in terms of the history of, of OPEC as well. Um, and in a sense... You know, in one point, uh, I mean, it's correct that Angola has not been meeting, that had independent uh, independent sources verify that. But at the same time, Angola would look to, say, for example, and not picking anyone out in particular, but Libya and saying, you haven't met yours for years, your production targets either. Uh, uh, and I know Libya would have its own justifications for that, given it's all its civil conflict. But at the same time, um, I think you could... You know, I think Angola leaving was probably a little bit to do with more geopolitical alignments of of interest around where it gets investment from China and and the US, etc. But I think Brazil potentially joining. I know it's only observer status could be a could could you know it's a huge producer. It has it's part of this big non OPEC supply that Yusef mentioned along with Guyana and and these are much you know we talk about market power in terms of OPEC plus and. You know, OPEC Plus has seen its market power slightly decline over the last five years, its market share with the rise of 
with non-OPEC. And I think having these extra producers, I think Saudi Arabia would be prepared to take a little bit more of the extra burden if if it gets the market power and decision it wants in the market. OK, we are going to get back to who is winning the market power game very shortly. But a couple of people have mentioned the economy there, sort of OPEC versus demand, I guess, is is what we're talking. We had the World Bank come out this morning with a fairly dismal forecast uh, going into 2024, talking about just under 2.5% uh, global growth and not having a lot of good news for the next five years um, unless things change. They are calling it uh, a wasted opportunity, basically, for the world economy. The $75 floor implied by the OPEC support that we have seen, Dr Yusuf, if demand weakens, how much pressure is that going to be undergoing into 2024? And how much leeway does OPEC actually have at the moment to keep cutting? Uh, well, that's a quite a tricky point, um, Brandy, um, because currently we see a um, voluntary cuts. Like Saudi Arabia production now is nearly 9 million barrels. Uh, Russia is also close to that level. And... If, uh, we're also seeing some uh, countries, Nigeria uh, and some others also are not meeting their production uh, targets. Some countries are ramping up, like uh, who have got to revise the baselines like UAE in, in 2024. But the uh, overall production of uh, OPEC as an OPEC plus as in general, um, uh, perhaps is... Uh, I would say is not as high as it used to. So they're already cutting, especially with the recent voluntary cuts that they've announced. Um, and one issue here I, uh, I, I'm worried about is that we, because that's uh, something we've seen in 2023 where we've seen some cuts and that these cuts were not really reflected on prices. That has affected even the economy of uh, Saudi Arabia in 2023, where the growth was uh, less than uh, 1%, according to a statement from the Saudi uh, Minister of Economy. Uh, so I believe this is one tricky issue, is that if we, if, Saudi, if, if cuts are going to be made in 2024 to support prices or to support the balances, then all members will have to participate. And this is one firm point that has been made by the, uh, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Um, uh, so either via voluntary cuts, via forging a new uh, OPEC plus agreements, that perhaps it will not be a, as as deep as what we've seen in 2020. But I believe all they have to form not just voluntary cuts, but a new OPEC plus agreement that enable them to uh, support the, the the balances and take into account the ample supplies that we're seeing today. Something that we did not see in 2021. Uh, 2022, we all remember when uh, His Royal Highness said, uh, uh, drill, baby, drill, baby, drilling is gone forever. But now we're seeing a, uh, the, uh, the enhanced efficiency of, especially from the U.S. Uh, productions, definitely we're not seeing increase in, in, in drilling rigs, but increased efficiency of production. And that's what we also, what I think the group has to uh, take into account. Let's actually jump into that, Paul. You mentioned earlier um, OPEC losing market share and maybe a bit of 
dominance. Um, we've seen those big mergers coming out from the UASX on mobile, uh, Chevron as well, speculation about whether we could see some mega mergers in Europe to follow shale orders operators rather joining forces with some of the big players in shale, as Dr. Yusuf mentioned, coming back there with a bit more growth than expected. How much is OPEC a victim of its own success in that by keeping prices higher? And how far could we see that resurgence in the US go? Yeah, you're right. It is a it is a victim of its own success um, in that sense. And I think it's worth talking two things about US shale, which is um, yes, first of all, we are seeing a company. We have seen it, it surprised on the upside in 2023. But I think we have to be careful not to assume that it's going to surprise on the upside and have the same record growth in 2024. I think I'm still quite circumspect about about you know huge levels of shale boom. We're not. I don't think we're in uh, in those levels. I think yes, we've had efficiency gains in in US shale drilling, um, and there's certainly been massive improvements. And with the majors owning them again, there seems to be. They have a bit more market power, like an ExxonMobil, a Pioneer and Chevron and Hess. They have more market power. But at the same time, it also means, in one sense, they're more impervious or more immune to sort of prices, changes in prices. But at the same time, they have much, they're still going to have a bit more financial discipline and fiscal discipline and, and, and reward to shareholders. And I think we have to juxtapose that with pre-COVID when we saw all the independence and OPEC had another thing to deal with at that point, which was the marginal supplier of shale. It was, it was, it was, you know, in many people ways, people looked at OPEC providing the floor, which you referred to earlier, Brandy, and and shale providing the ceiling. And shale no longer provides a ceiling in that sense. It, it will come on when prices are higher, but it's not the same challenge for OPEC. That was a huge challenge for OPEC you know, a few years ago, and they had lots of talks and discussions with with shale producers themselves to 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 look for a way forward. So, I think yes, it is a changing backdrop uh, with shale, but I think it's not it's probably not as problematic in a sense as as the past when the independent would just produce at any price signal going higher. Okay, we've got a bit of an interactive poll that's going to pop up on your screens in a moment for those who are watching and listening us. We're asking you um, to vote on something that we have covered in this session, um, whether or not we had the change in meetings that Amina mentioned earlier, um, the change in length, uh, whether that could be due to an erosion in Saudi-Russia oil policy and the alliance there. Um, it's an easy choice. Yes or no, vote and tell us what you think if you submit those now. Um, Amina, I want to throw one question to you before we move into a bit of a very quick crystal ball session um, about the evolution of the market in terms of who's holding sway on the buying side. Um, Ouch like hell is one of the other big quotes from the last year or so when we're talking about speculation. Um, more smaller speculators maybe than rather than sort of bigger buyers, bigger banks being able to sway the market, frustrating OPEC. Where is all that going, in your opinion? Yeah, that's right, Brandy. Um, Prince Abdulaziz is ouching like hell. I will make speculators ouch like hell has become a very, uh, you know, popular um quote that everyone remembers during the, these uh, the, these times. Um, 
I, I agree to, with you. Uh, yes, the market has changed. The market has evolved. A decade ago, if you had any conflict in the Middle East with the size of the conflict that we're seeing right now, you would have seen oil prices go up to the roof. These days, it's a completely different story. And I think that's just a change uh, that we're seeing in the structure of the of the market you're getting more um smaller traders speculators influencing which direction uh this market takes and there was even data out uh, recently i read it uh, in a bloomberg story saying that positioning uh towards uh, a more bearish market has been uh seen in the number of trades in uh, in, uh, in wti and uh, and brent so the structure has changed how this market uh, 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 functions and kind of it makes sense. I mean, we're trying to make sense always of why is the price, is it? I mean, the, the fundamentals aren't really reflected in the prices that we're seeing right now. There are other factors at play and sentiment has a lot to do with it, but also speculation has a lot to do with it. And this is a big challenge for OPEC. I mean, OPEC's levers are really to do with supply. They can either increase supply or cut supply. Um, there is messaging, of course, that they, they continuously do about the economic uh, uh, state of uh, of the global economy and so on. Uh, but I feel like their job is very tricky uh, because there are other factors at play and new elements that they've never had to deal before. And that's why they've had to come with these very creative ways of presenting their agreements between um, cuts, collective cuts between the group, and then you have the voluntary cuts on the top. And sometimes these things are not very clear to the market. Again, for these smaller traders to understand the complexity of the deal. And that's, again, uh, part of the reason why we're seeing prices where they are. Right. I've got five minutes left before we hand over to the legendary Mr. Frank Kane. I'm not allowed to go over. So you've got about 40 seconds each to speculate wildly with the caveat of going into 2024. Who would know? Uh, Dr. Yusuf, first off, where do you think we will go this year? Cut price and unity. Super quick. Cuts, price, and unity. Well, in terms of cuts, I believe we're going to see extension of voluntary cuts currently be in place. Um, uh, concerned or kind of um, uh, thinking how they will, it will be interesting to see what the group will decide in June, later this year, in terms of if there will be a new OPEC Plus uh, policy, which I think is important. In terms of prices, I think we could see $80 as we move towards the end of Q2, assuming China comes back with a, uh, with a, with a good uh, recovery. And um, uh, Unity, I believe, uh, I'm, I'm not worried very much about the Unity if we end up with a, uh, a, uh, an agreement that is um, kind of takes into account new capabilities in terms of capacities and in terms of market fundamentals. And if, let's say, the group can come somehow restore the current market status that is uh, satisfying for all members, I think that will support the unity moving forward. Right, Paul, 40 seconds, cut prices and playing nicely together. Yes, yeah, so I think um, cuts-wise, uh, I think prices, but first of all, I think we're going to probably see a, a year of two halves. We talked about it last year, about a year of two halves. This could well be towards $70 a barrel for the first 
first few months of the year, real testing the bottom of OPEX floor, but jumping higher in towards the second half, potentially even up to $90 a barrel by, by the end of the year. So I think we see a story of two halves potentially, and OPEC will be really testing that first half. I think that may allow OPEC to free up a little bit of wiggle room uh, in the second half, and it'll, it won't mean it may not be as, as tested potentially. But I think what would be a potential surprise is a move from production quotas to export quotas. We've seen it with Russia, and I think that could be the surprise and where we're moving to, maybe 2024 or maybe a couple of years later. Amina, the final word is yours. Um, on prices, uh, for at Energy Intelligence, we're expecting an average of $79 to $80. Uh, this is for Brent so far. Uh, in terms of unity, uh, yes, there are a lot of challenges ahead. And as I mentioned, that the baseline reviews are going to start in June. But um, I, I think that they could uh, overcome uh, this hurdle. Um, and in terms of the cuts, uh, I agree with Dr. Yusuf. I expect them to extend the voluntary cuts for uh, at least another three months because of so much uncertainty still. Uh, but again, if you we reach a point where prices start to rise and there's an issue with compliance, they need to come up with a way to gradually bring up uh, production so they will avoid uh, uh, this uh, the potential problem of compliance uh, being lax again. So that's another challenge if, uh, if you do get an uptick in, uh, in demand. All right. And I've also just had pop up on my screen the results of that survey. Thank you for everyone who took part. Is the change in the uh, OPEC meeting times due to an erosion in Saudi-Russian oil policy alliance? A rough third say yes, it is, which means a rough two thirds, 68% say no. They don't think so. Thank you very much uh, to everyone who's joined me today. Amina Becker of Energy Intelligence, Dr. Yusuf Al-Shamari uh, of Energy Research and Imperial College London, Paul Hicken of Petroleum Economist. We hand over to Frank Kane for the next session on time, which gets us all brownie points. Thank you for joining me this morning.